This week, there is some big news about the world's richest person and one of the world's most influential companies. Elon Musk bought Twitter. The Twitter board accepted his bid to buy the company outright for about $44 billion. Will Aremis covers tech for The Post. This was a bid he had made a couple weeks ago. It looked like the Twitter board was going to resist it. Eventually, they decided to accept it, and it will soon become Elon Musk's company. He will take it private, so it will no longer be a publicly traded company on the stock market. Wait, and why did Twitter accept this? I mean, they made such a big deal about not wanting to be owned by Elon Musk, talking about this poison pill thing, that they'd rather you know, damage their own company than give it over to this guy. So they just rolled over and said, here you go? Yeah, basically. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, April 26th. Today, how Elon Musk owning Twitter could affect the conversations we're all having. Once Musk made a bid, that put the company in play. They adopted what was called that poison pill provision that would make it harder for Musk to acquire the company via a hostile takeover, that is, to acquire it without the board's cooperation. Mm -hmm. That bought them some time, gave them a chance to entertain other offers, other possibilities. Ultimately, after a fairly short deliberation, they seemed to have decided that the Musk offer was the best they were going to get, and they opted to sell. So, well, I want to ask the question that I think a lot of normal people who aren't in the tech world are asking. So what? Like, why should we care about some rich guy buying this app? Elon Musk owning Twitter outright means that the richest person in the world will now have the final say over the decisions made by one of the world's most influential communication platforms. Mm. So even though Twitter is much smaller than Facebook, much smaller than Instagram, much smaller than TikTok, in terms of its number of active users, it is extremely influential because the people who are on there are disproportionately politicians, celebrities, public figures, the media. This is sort of the world's water cooler. It's where people shape their ideas and get their ideas and focus group their messaging and see what's resonating with people. And then they take those messages to bigger platforms, to cable news, to speeches from the president's office, you know, to mainstream media articles. So Twitter is this incredibly influential place among the elites of the world and Musk now will have the power to decide who can say what and what the rules will be. And nobody knows exactly how he will wield that power, although he has given us a few clues. So that seems like the big question, right? Like, how is Twitter going to change? What is Elon Musk going to do to Twitter? I know that there is a lot of hand-wringing and uh, kind of forecasting about what the future could look like. But maybe you could paint a picture of, you know, when people talk about the worst case scenario of how this site could change in the short term, like in the next six months to a year, what does that worst case scenario look like? Well, the absolute worst case scenario would be Musk using the platform blatantly for his own purposes. You could imagine a scenario where Musk uses all the data that Twitter has on people to go after his critics, look in their DMs, see what they've said, mm. dig up dirt on them. I mean, you know, it could get really bad in theory. Is he allowed to do that? 
So I'm not a lawyer. I don't actually know whether that would be legal. What I do know is that he would have the ability to try to do that if he really wanted to. I do think Twitter employees would rebel. And I don't think that's the most likely scenario. Musk tweeted on Monday that he believes that free speech means even his worst critics should be able to speak freely on the platform. So he at least signaled that he's not going to use it to go after people who don't like him. I think a more likely scenario, but one that's also worrying to folks who closely follow Twitter, is that Musk imposes a somewhat naive and simplistic vision of what free speech means Hmm. on the platform. Now, Twitter, up until about 2016, 2017, was run by people who believed that their most important role was just to step back and let people say what they wanted. They took a very laissez-faire attitude. You know, back in the days of the Arab Spring, Twitter was very proud of the fact that it was a place where dissidents could speak up and organize. And that ethos of we're going to keep our hands off and the speech will sort itself out persisted for a long time. But by the mid-2010s, it was becoming clear that Twitter was a really ugly place. I mean, it was a place where people could harass each other with impunity, where people could post hate speech and porn and target other people for bullying and expose their personal information and mostly get away with it because Twitter didn't do much about it. Over the past five years or so, Twitter has worked really, really hard to make itself feel like a safer place for people, make it give people more tools to report bullying and harassment and doxing, which is when somebody exposes your personal information online. All of these sorts of online abuse, Twitter has put a lot of resources into trying to limit and crack down on. Musk has indicated that he believes Twitter should go back to a sort of a lighter touch with moderation. Now, that may mean that it becomes once again a place where especially women and people of color Mm -hmm. and marginalized people can be attacked with impunity and where the hate mongers thrive and where the people who want to have sort of a civil discussion just don't feel comfortable doing that. I think that's the thing that people worry about if he doesn't learn and adjust his understanding of of what free speech really means in the context of moderating a platform like Twitter. And in terms of worst case scenarios, I mean, that sounds like a pretty bad scenario to me. I wonder, is there a best case scenario of what Twitter under Elon Musk would look like or people who are saying that the picture that you're painting of a Twitter that is a uglier place than it's been even in the last few years, that that's actually not what's going to happen and that there are positive changes that could come for Twitter or for people who use Twitter? There is a best case scenario. And I think it starts with recognizing the problems that were inherent in Twitter's existing ownership structure. So Twitter as a publicly traded company had always been under pressure to show more growth, to boost its ad revenues to boost its active user numbers. Every quarter, it had to report to its shareholders and to equity analysts how it was doing on those targets. And most quarters, it was a disappointment. And Jack Dorsey, the previous CEO, left under pressure from Twitter investors who felt that the company wasn't innovating fast enough. That constant pressure to show growth quarter over quarter really limited Twitter's ability to think long-term and to make long-term investments and to adjust its business model. So one of the things that Musk has said is he'd like to see Twitter move away from an advertising-based business model where it 
relies on collecting data about users and then inserting ads in their feeds to more of a subscription-based model where more and more people pay to use Twitter uh, and perhaps in return, they could get those blue check marks, uh, you know, get verified for paying. Mm -hmm. They would get extra features. That would be a more stable revenue source. It's not clear, though, that Twitter could ever be a bigger company in terms of revenue with that model, but it might be one that is better in some ways if it's not focused on advertising. That was Advertising has never been a particularly clean fit for what Twitter's about. I mean, this is a place where people go to discuss difficult topics to discuss tragic news, to discuss breaking news, terror attacks, you know, social strife, culture wars. Advertisers don't like any of that stuff. You know, I mean, advertisers want sort of a Disney-fied mm -hmm. social platform where people are in the mood to consume. I mean, Instagram has a wonderful advertising business for that reason. It's like an aspirational place full of beautiful stuff and it gets people in the mood to buy things. <laughs> Twitter's like the exact opposite. It makes everybody anxious and fearful. Nobody wants to buy anything. So that kind of business model transition is something that potentially Elon Musk as a super duper billionaire private owner could give them the time and the resources to really attempt. After the break, we talk about what this means for Twitter as a platform and perhaps the $44 billion question, will former President Trump be back? Stay tuned. So, Will, since it became official that Elon Musk is buying Twitter, what have we heard from Twitter's CEO or from the company's employees? Twitter's new CEO, Parag Agrawal, has said surprisingly little throughout this process. He has mostly just popped up to endorse in a tweet whatever the current stance is. So he endorsed it when it looked like Musk was going to be a board member. And he said, welcome to the board. And then when it looked like Musk wasn't going to get the board seat, he was he said, okay, then I think this is best for everybody. Let's all move on. And now that Musk is the owner, he's like, okay, let's, you know, we're moving forward. Let's, you know, we, there's important work to do. But he's really said very little. He hasn't attempted to take any kind of control of the narrative. One unfortunate coincidence of timing is that he's actually been on paternity leave. He just had his second kid. It has not been a very peaceful paternity leave for Agarwal, I assume. As far as employees at the company, there's a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety. When I talk to them, I mean, at this point, like they don't even want to talk to me anymore. They don't want to think about it. Mm -hmm. They're like this. They're like, this has been nonstop turmoil for weeks. I just wish I could get back to doing my job. I came to this company because I loved what it was doing. And now I'm afraid that it's going to undo all that under Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are also some folks in Twitter, probably a minority, who are excited, who think that, you know, this is a guy who's run some incredibly successful companies. Maybe he'll find finally turn around Twitter and make us the thriving company that we always wished we could be. But I do think the predominant feeling is, is anxiety. Mm -hmm. Over the past few years, I think Twitter has become a place that a lot of people really love working. It has had very 
liberal approaches to remote work. It's letting people work from anywhere they want for the most part. People feel like they're working on projects that are meaningful. Some people I talked to moved to Twitter from other social platforms like Facebook because they wanted to feel good about the work they were doing and the company they were working for. A lot of those people are now concerned about what it's going to be like to work for Musk. His companies have been successful in many ways, but they're also, by all accounts, very difficult places to work. He's a very hard charging boss. He's extremely demanding. He has been known to fire people who cross him. Uh, he made a snarky tweet about Twitter's remote work policy where he said, maybe we should just turn the office into a homeless shelter since nobody's coming in anyway. I think that, you know, people are understandably concerned about what life will be like working for Musk, especially those who enjoyed the way that it was previously. You know, I think that there's one very specific question we need to ask about what the future of Twitter under Musk will look like. Um, is he going to let President Trump back on Twitter? There's been a lot of speculation about whether Elon Musk will bring Donald Trump back to Twitter. A lot of Republicans in Congress have been cheering Musk's involvement in the company, maybe partly because they think he will. I looked into the evidence for it, and it's actually surprisingly thin. Sometime after Trump was banned from Twitter following the January 6th insurrection, Musk had one tweet where he said something like, a lot of people aren't going to like a small number of tech elites in Silicon Valley making these kinds of political decisions for the entire world. That indicated a degree of discomfort with the power that Twitter was exercising by banning Trump. But he hasn't actually ever said that he plans to bring back Trump. You know, we also know that he's tweeted a lot about wanting Twitter to be a bulwark of free speech. You know, maybe that means that it should be a place where a president can go and talk about voter fraud and talk about how the election was a sham. But again, he hasn't spoken specifically to that. I think it's probably not at the very top of his priority list. I wouldn't be surprised if he does try to nudge the company in that direction. I think for him to just walk in and immediately unban Donald Trump or some of the other people that Twitter has banned, like Alex Jones or Milo Yiannopoulos, I think that would be a tactical error on his part. He would lose a lot of the faith of people in the company. He would spark a lot of outrage. Uh, from a lot of Twitter users. But I wouldn't be surprised if over time he does move the company toward a more tolerant position of political speech that is problematic in some way. But what about when it comes to true misinformation? I mean, especially thinking about Elon Musk taking over this company just a few months before the midterm elections, it just feels like the the taking away those internal mechanisms that were supposed to put the brakes on misinformation, that that could lead to significant problems. And it, it, I, it, I feel like I haven't heard Elon Musk talk about misinformation as a, as a real thing that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, I think Musk, you know, he says that truth is extremely important to him. At the same time, I do think he is skeptical of what is deemed misinformation by the mainstream media, by fact checkers, by scientific authorities. We know that he was skeptical of a lot of the official guidance around COVID-19 and the COVID vaccines. He had some tweets that indicated he felt that the social platforms were being too heavy handed in labeling things as misinformation. 
you know, he, he went on the Joe Rogan podcast famously and, and smoked weed and Joe Rogan is famous for those same views. Um, so I think he is a, a skeptic of labeling things as misinformation. And I think under his ownership, the company may do less of that than it has done uh, in recent years. I will say that earlier in its history, the company was very tolerant of misinformation. In fact, it explicitly said that it wouldn't be in the business of deciding what was true or false. That was up to its users. And the answer to bad speech was more speech. We could see Musk shift the company more toward that side of things. What do you think this move says about Musk's own vision for himself? I mean, does he see himself as a media mogul now? Um, And how are we supposed to understand the amount of power that he's going to wield both with Twitter and all his other companies and his enormous wealth? I think Musk sees himself as this sort of Nietzschean (laughs) ubermensch. somebody who's outside the what matrix, a, super, a superhero. <laughs> he just thinks he's smarter than everybody else, you know? And he thinks that he can run things better than everybody else. And he thinks that he alone, or he maybe among a small cadre, can see through the stuff that all the sheep can't see and that he can see the real truth. And so I think to him, the more companies he takes over, the better. You know, he's running he's running Tesla, he's running SpaceX, he's got Neuralink, which is trying to put computers in people's brains, he's got the Boring Company, which is digging tunnels underground for Hyperloop transportation. He doesn't seem to see any real limit to what he can do. I think he just thinks he can do it all. But is there a precedent for him really taking responsibility for that kind of power or understanding that also if one of these things goes south, in particular, if Twitter becomes a place that, again, invites harassment and disinformation and um, things that are dismantling our society, like, is he is he ready to take responsibility for that? Musk has had some enormous successes in his career, Tesla and SpaceX probably being the two biggest. He has also had lots of failures, lots of missed deadlines, lots of promises broken, lots of ideas that didn't pan out. And he tends just to kind of move on from those, you know, just send those down the memory hole and focus on the ones that are interesting to him or exciting him at a given moment and make new promises to get people to forget about the old promises that he didn't keep. So considering all of that, do you think that this is a moment where people, regular Twitter users, are going to start rethinking whether they want to spend time on this platform? We're already seeing a lot of chatter on Twitter, particularly from people who lean left politically, about finding an alternative. There are two reasons I'm skeptical that there will be a mass exodus. One is there's not really an alternative to Twitter. I mean, the thing about Twitter is that it's where all the public figures are. So if you want to go to an alternative like Mastodon, sure, the functionality is quite similar to Twitter. You might feel better about the company in some ways, but all the people you're trying to talk to and be heard by aren't on there. So that network effect, I think, is going to keep people on Twitter for the time being. We've seen that play out again and again with people claiming they were going to leave Facebook and then not leaving Facebook, uh, or you know they leave Facebook and just go to Instagram. But over time, that kind of thing can add up. I mean, we we saw Facebook lose users for the first time in its history a few months ago. It's just that it took years and years and years, right? It didn't happen all at once. And then the other thing is that 
it'll take a few months for this deal to close and Musk to really take over. Presumably, it will take some time after that for him to really start changing the platform in, in noticeable ways. I think a lot of people will find that it's just not that different for now. And so I think some of their fervor to switch platforms will will dissipate naturally. Do you have advice for people who are going to be who are going to continue using Twitter for now, but watching what changes and um, how they should kind of navigate this question of like, look, well, if you don't support the guy who runs this company and you don't support the ways that he's changing it, then like you can consider whether you spend time on this platform or not. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, there's that saying, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. I don't think that's, I don't think that's quite true. I mean, people do have choices. Certainly, if you don't feel good about being on a platform that's owned by Elon Musk, if you don't want to support it, go to another platform, bring your friends, try to start something new. I mean, that's what the tech industry and social media is built on is this idea that if you don't like the way things are, go try to change it, be a part of that change. That said, I mean, you know, which billionaire's platform do you feel good hmm. about being part of, right? Like, do you feel great about being on Mark Zuckerberg's platforms? Do you feel great about being on TikTok, which is owned by ByteDance, which is, you know, answerable in some ways to the Chinese Communist Party? So the ethical platform, the mythical ethical platform that's out there, uh, you know, to the extent they exist, they tend to be a little bit small and lonely, but, but never say never, you know, maybe that could change. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Will Aremus is a tech reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced and mixed by Renny Svernovsky with help from Emma Talkoff. It was edited by Maggie Penman. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>